We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to the Gospel of Luke. chapter 23 I gotta I gotta be honest with you man um, I'm reaching that age now where I can't see close it's weird and uh, I almost feel like I have to carry my glasses with me everywhere I go uh, are you guys there okay well I don't know if this is true or not but I'm thinking man you, we gotta just fight it you guys because <laughs> then you become dependent on those uh, glasses I don't know how it works the Lord knows but I'm gonna start eating more carrots I know that <laughs> But we have a very, very heavy study for us uh, today in Luke 23, and it's about the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, and I really believe that this is one of those studies that, man, when you allow it to really sink in, it's life-changing. It's real simple. He died for you on that cross to save you from your sins. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then, you know, what are you waiting for? Give your life to Jesus. And we're going to see how simple and how powerful that is today. But if you're here today and you're a Christian and maybe you're struggling or, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, this right here will give you strength. It will give you power because it's real simple. He died for us that we might live for him. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, real simple. He died for us that we might live for him. And when we see his death, because we know that the cross is the epicenter of Christianity, then you and I, we're going to be strengthened to worship him. Strengthened to worship him. How? Not by just singing a song. Not by going to church. Not by being religious. But by living a life that's sold out to the Lord. You know? As we've gone through Luke up to this point, we know Jesus Christ was arrested there in the garden and then he was convicted before the high priest and then before Pilate. And now we see he's on his way to Calvary. And we pick it up here in Luke 23, beginning in verse 26, where it says, Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Here we see Simon bears Jesus' cross behind him. Simon the Cyrenian. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this guy. I know when reading the text right here, I was thinking, you know, here he is coming 800 miles from Africa. He's coming to celebrate, you know, the Passover there at the temple. And I'm sure, you know, when the Roman soldier, because they could do that, they could just take their spear, their sword, put it on your shoulder. Next thing you know, you got to carry whatever the burden might be. In this case now would be the cross of Christ. I'm sure when he put that soldier on Simon, he's thinking, oh man, this is a drag. This is not the way I planned my religious activity to go to Jerusalem and to celebrate the Passover. Here, carry the cross. We know it wasn't the full cross because the full cross would weigh about 300 pounds. But it was pretty heavy. It was about 120 pounds. Jesus had been beaten. Jesus had been mocked. Jesus had been scourged. He's going down the Via Dolorosa, that place of suffering and grief. 
You can't, can't, can't take it anymore. And so here's Simon, probably a big guy, and they say, hey, you, carry the cross for him. And I was thinking about that. Simon the Cyrenian, we know him now, but imagine how, how kind of cool it would be to go down in history as the one who helped Jesus Christ carry his cross. Would any of you like to do that? I bet you would, huh? Even some of you ladies would. You'd be like, I'd do it, man. <laughs> That's amazing when you think about it, you know, and although I'm sure Simon was resisting it, I'm sure Simon was bummed about it. By the time it was all said and done, getting so close to the suffering salvation and the love of Jesus Christ, getting so close to that, most people will tell you, we believe that Simon got saved. It's cool because when you read over in the book of uh, Romans, Chapter 16, verse 13, the Bible says, A great Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. And so there is this, you know, church in Rome, you know, that Paul is writing to. And he says, hey, you know, greet this guy Rufus, a chosen guy in the Lord. But then it's kind of cool over in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, the same account here. Mark says that they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father, father of Alexander and Rufus as he was coming out of the country, passing by to bear his cross. And so, it's interesting. They identified Simon with his sons. Now, normally you don't do that. Normally you identify someone with their father. But apparently his sons were so well known within Christendom that he can just say, hey, talk to them, greet them. And what we find is when we just kind of put two and two together, we find that more than likely this guy Simon got saved in carrying the cross of Jesus Christ. And we see this. It's an amazing thing. After a night of beanings and a morning of scourgings, Jesus Christ is helped along the way. And so as he's there, Simon bears the cross. And Jesus is going before him. Simon's following him. There's multitudes following him, especially the women. Because look what we read next in verse 27. It says, And a great multitude of the people followed him. And women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in green wood, what will be done in the dry. You know, one thing that's kind of interesting, I don't know if you guys ever thought about this before, but you know, Jesus Christ did experience a lot of opposition in his ministry, but did you know that he never, ever experienced opposition from a woman? Did you know that? It's real interesting. As a matter of fact, when you read the Gospels, and, I, and I'm not you know, playing favorites, guys, but I think girls are better, man. <laughs> I really do. I'm just convinced in that and I see it through life and I even see it in the Gospels. All these women, so faithful. We're going to see they're going to be the ones to be there when Jesus rises from the dead. They're so faithful. And here they are. There's a multitude of them. They're, they're Jewish women because they're called daughters of Jerusalem. And as they're following Jesus, understandably, they're weeping and they're mourning. They just can't get it. They can't understand why this would happen to them. But it's at this point now where we begin to see the, the whole heart of the cross. 
You know, because it's at this point where they're there and they're weeping and they're mourning for Jesus, what he's going through. And Jesus Christ, you want to know something, man? He was not interested in a sliver of sympathy for himself. Not at all. You know, I know for me, you know, sometimes I'll do something and maybe I'll make a sacrifice or maybe whatever it is, I'm sick or I'm down or I'm out or whatever it might be. You know, and in my fallen nature, I kind of want somebody to sympathize with me. Hey, can you see I'm hurting or whatever? Come on, send me a card. I don't know. We want that kind of stuff, right? Man, the Lord was not interested in that. He was only solely, completely, constantly consumed with others we see that right here the lord he says you know what don't weep for me you know don't don't weep for me i'm concerned about you you need to know that the days are coming when you and your children will suffer such devastation and death that those without children those who have never nursed they're going to be the ones that are considered to be blessed And the Lord begins to do what? Begins to warn them of what would happen in 70 AD when the Roman army would surround Jerusalem. 1.2 million Jews would die and the brunt of the pain and suffering and devastation and death would be the women and the children. And again, you just see, basically the main thing is here, you see the heart of the Lord as he's on his way to the cross. And we're going to see it even get stronger, you guys. But we're getting warmed up to this whole thing right here. How Jesus is constantly others oriented. He says there again in verse 31. He says, for if they do these things in green wood, what will be done in the dry? You know, we don't know for sure what that means. There's different views. I mean, one thing I do know is this, that green wood is hard to burn. Huh? Have you guys ever tried burning green wood? It doesn't burn as good as dry wood, obviously, right? That's why sometimes we get these wildfires and and they go crazy out of control because these are now brown trees, right? Not green. They burn more easily. And what we see right here in looking at this, we believe, is Jesus is saying, look at, I'm going to the cross. It's a gracious decision by the Father and one dies. But imagine what's going to happen when 1.2 million Jews die. And Jesus says to them, this is the reason to cry. Don't cry for me, cry for yourself. And see, what we find is that the Lord is on this place, he's on this journey of love that is so amazing. And you know, I want to just encourage you guys right now as we're about to enter in, to take off your shoes. I know it might stink a little bit, man, but you know, take off your shoes. Because we're, we're standing on holy ground. This place, we're going to see where God is going to bear our sins. The Lord is so personal. We see here in verse 32, notice what it says. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. Isaiah spoke of this in Isaiah 53, verse 12, where it says he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, when you read Matthew and Mark, you find that they uh, identify these guys as robbers. And the Greek word for robbers speaks of one who uses violence to rob openly. It wasn't like they broke into your house, you know, while you weren't there. It's when they went up violently with the gun or whatever it might be with the sword. And they robbed. They, They had that heart. These were the guys that were there. And the Lord was going to... Go and be crucified between those two. And you might wonder why. And maybe it's just random. Maybe 
but maybe not. You know, the Lord, we're going to see, is going to minister to these guys. One of them is going to get saved. And it's so cool. Maybe you're here today and you've done some crime. Any of you here done crime or time? Just out of curiosity. You know, you know anybody? You know, and that's another thing that I do want to uh, just challenge you as a church. You know, Matthew 25, the Lord spoke about visiting the prisoners. When was the last time you visited somebody who was incarcerated? When was the last time you wrote a letter to somebody in jail? I encourage you, because I know the Lord's been just speaking to me on these issues, you know, to reach out to them, you know, because they need somebody to speak to them. What we see right here is the Lord is going to minister to the criminals. He wasn't a criminal himself, although they considered him to be. And what he's doing is he's just constantly reaching out to the very end. And so we read, this is it, in verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now, as you're doing your devotional reading, as you're going through this chapter, you just kind of fly by. But you know, it it bears worthy of reflection and meditation and contemplation on our part. And there they crucified him. The Greek word is the word staroo, and it literally means a stake. This is why the Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus died on a stake, like a pole, a single pole. But you see, this is not in reference to what he died on. This is in reference to the whole entire process of crucifixion, chronicled in history as staking one or nailing one to a cross. I mean, Jesus didn't die on a nail. He was nailed to a cross. And see, that's the way we need to see it. And that's something that was prophesied back in Psalm 22, verse 16, where the Bible says that they pierced my hands and my feet. Now, we know when that was written. It was written hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented by the Persians, then transferred to the Phoenicians, and then perfected by the Romans as a means of execution which caused maximum amount of pain over an extended period of time. Um, we know that some uh, in history, there's chronicled where they were crucified and they were hanging on the cross for a week. And all that time experiencing the excruciating pain that was intended for them. And what they would do is they would put the cross beam on the ground and the victim was then laid on it and then seven inch nails were driven into both hands and feet. And when the cross was lifted up and put into its socket, there was a tremendous strain put on the wrists, arms and shoulders, resulting in a dislocation of the shoulders and elbow joints. The arms being held up and outward held the rib cage in such a position that it made it extremely difficult to exhale and impossible to take full breaths. The victim would only be able to take shallow breaths. This is probably why Jesus made short statements while on the cross. You know, and from what I understand, there's a nerve right here that just travels through your whole body. Think about that. I don't know about you guys, but you know, every once in a while, maybe it's because I'm getting old, maybe because I'm out of shape a little bit, but I like to take deep breaths. Do you? Watch, take a deep breath right now. Doesn't that feel good? 
It's a bummer when, you know, you, you can't. There's a shortness of breath. There's a shallowness of breath. And the way that he was fixated on the cross and his rib cage, and he had a little place to sit on, a little place to push up his feet, is the only way when he could even take, the only way he could even take shallow breaths is if he would push up on those feet that were nailed to the cross. And so in looking at this, we see just some of the pain that he went through. You know, of course, the cross was intended to be excruciating. But even more than that, the cross was intended to be humiliating, right? And there, hanging on the cross of Calvary, so many would pass by and consider him, who was the glorious God and maker of mankind, they would consider him to be a common criminal, a fool, a joker, a loser, only worthy to be put to death and then put behind them in life. And they would pass by, and there was our God, excruciating pain, humiliating for us. You know, in the cross, we not only see the love that God has for us, He died for you, but I think we also see the extent of that love. When I was thinking about this yesterday, as I was studying how my God can do this for me. How my God, and we're going to see it today, epitomized in His command to love your enemies. I was just blown away. Because I wonder, and sometimes, you know, we can look in the mirror and we can think we're pretty good. Are you? Do you have the love of Calvary? Do you have the love that loves your enemies? See, that's the way God is. That's the way he was for us. When you look at the cross, it's like you see Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, where the Bible says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And maybe you're here today. And, you know, I don't know. Every once in a while, you run across people who just don't believe that God loves them. You know, you could go up to God and you can ask God, God, how much do you love me? How much? And God would just stretch out his hands and he would say, I love you this much. And he died for you this way, excruciating, humiliating, on that cross for us. You know, you guys have heard it a million times, but I think it bears worthy, it's, it's worthy of repetition. You know, you've heard it said that, you know, nails didn't hold him to the cross. Love did, right? And that's something that we have to understand. You see, that love, it didn't skip a beat. It couldn't be beat. Because look at what we read next in verse 34. The first words from the cross, this is what Jesus says. Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Imagine that. Jesus is looking down from the cross just after he was crucified he sees the soldiers who have mocked him, scourged him, tortured him, and just got done nailing him to the cross. He probably remembers those who have sentenced him, you know, Caiaphas, Annas, the Sanhedrin, Pontius Pilate. You know, coming to mind maybe are his apostles, his companions who have deserted him, Peter who denied him three times, the multitudes who cried out for his crucifixion. You know, I mean, it was kind of like the whole world, almost the whole world was against him. But how did he react? 
What we see right here is that at the height of his physical suffering, when man was doing his worst, God was doing his best, and his unparalleled love prevails. And what does he do? He asks his father to forgive them. You know, and and in one sense, I guess we can kind of put ourselves there, you guys. That's the way the Lord, you know, that's kind of like the the prayer that he prayed for you. You know, because in one sense, we were all guilty of nailing him to the cross. And Jesus just says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, and still it's difficult. You know, when I try to process this whole thing, I think, well, the only reason they didn't know what they were doing is because they didn't want to know. I mean, God came down, Jesus came down and manifested His glory, His miracles, His message, His life, His love. They just didn't want to know. Lord, they're not worthy of this prayer for you to ask for forgiveness. And I just try to reason with this whole thing. And in one sense, you know what? I can't. And I'm just like, I don't know if you ever got socked in the face, but I'm just, you know, slammed. I'm slammed with salvation. Because that's exactly what God has done for us. And I'm just blown away. I find myself face to face with a love I don't understand. I'll never understand. But a love that I so desperately need. Because every single splinter of that cross, every drip and drop of blood, every cell in the soul of my Savior that died on the cross, it was all about forgiveness about our salvation. You know, and because that was his heart, you guys, here we are today, those of you who have received Christ as Lord and Savior, here we are today, forgiven. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. We owed a debt, right? And the Lord, what he did was he suffered in our place. He took our punishment. You know, and I want to encourage you to really today You know, just take a good long look at the cross. Take a good long look at it. Be so careful that you don't just come in and leave and go wherever you're going to go. You're going to go to lunch today and you're going to have your, you know, salad or or your tacos or your burgers or whatever it is. You go back and you just hop, you know, on Facebook. I don't know what your life is like. Make sure that you don't leave this place without just at least, if it's not a word that I say, at least what the Bible says about how God died for you. And let it sink in. Let it radically change your life. Because if He died for us, then we should live for Him. 100%. You know, we, we see the soldiers here. Look again in verse 34. They divided his garments. It says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And they divided his garments and they cast lots. Again, prophesied in Psalm 22, verse 18. Just as the Bible says, you know. And at Jesus' cross, there would be a squadron of soldiers, four of them. And they were entitled to the clothing of the criminals. But the difficulty was that for every Jew, they say there is five articles of clothing. And so when they came, you know, okay, you have this, you have this, you have this, you have this. And when they came to the tunic, which would be valuable, it was seamless. You know, let's just say it's your leather jacket. I don't know what it is. And you're like, oh, we can't cut this thing up. And so what are they doing? They're just playing games, man. Hey, just roll some dice. Move the mice. See who wins the garment, right? And you want to know what's happening? There's a distinction between the squadron, between the four soldiers... And the centurion. 
the four soldiers, they're just playing games. And there are a lot of Christians that are just playing games. But the centurion, he saw the whole cross. And he got saved. See, that's the difference. What's the difference? Why is it that he and she and this and that? We want to know why. It's because some people see the cross for what it is. That Almighty God died for you. And that this love is an everlasting love that was expressed for you. It's like the Amazon River falling on a daisy, flooding you. You can drown in his love in a good way, right? (laughs) But a lot of times people just don't, they don't see that. And there's these guys, there are four soldiers sitting there at the cross, you know, probably chewing on tobacco, whatever, a little drink, when God died for them and they're playing games, hey man, I got to get a new shirt. See, we got to be really careful. We're going to see the distinction between all the different people that are watching Jesus die. Do you see Jesus die? Can you see Jesus die? Oh, we're Christians. We don't have Jesus on the cross anymore. Well, maybe you should. I know he's not there anymore, but man, don't forget the sacrifice. You see, because what we find the soldiers, there's a distinction, the centurion sees them, he gets saved, and we even find the, the criminals. You know, one sees, one doesn't. One gets saved, one doesn't. It's all about whether or not you're cross-eyed, whether or not you can see. We see that next. Look again in verse 35. It says, And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. What do we see here? Well, three times... There's a temptation, right? Those tempting words spoken to Jesus by the Jewish rulers, then by the Roman soldiers, then by the criminal, to do what? Save yourself. Save yourself. And there's the criminals, and they're, they're, they're struggling, they're in pain. Save yourself and us. And there's a temptation for Jesus to do what a lot of us do. A lot of the times the decision is that we make are based on the fact that we want to save ourselves. That's not the heart of the cross. You know, they said, hey, prove you're the Christ. Prove you're the king. If you save yourself, you'll prove it. But what we find is that if he would have come down from the cross, he would have disproved it because the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the king had to be killed. The Messiah had to be murdered. Little did they know that it's this truth that if he saved himself, he then would be unable to save others. And you know, that's, that's the thing, you guys. And, I, and I, we've got to enter into that. We've kind of got to look around at this principle right here of what God has done for us. I mean, he could have saved himself, man. He really could have. And he could have come down from that cross, and justifiably so. 
I mean, have you ever started over? Maybe you start over with a relationship, or you start over with a new job, or you start over with a new book, or you start over with a new whatever it might be. I mean, everybody, you know, we have these new starts. God could have done it like that. He doesn't need us. He never needed us. But what did he do? Like we read in the beginning, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. The Lord was constantly thinking of others. And you know, and we got to follow him, you guys. I mean, it's hard to, to go through this and then not talk about our own cross. It's really difficult for me. Because I know that principle. And here you are, you want to help others and you want to minister to others or whatever it is that you want to do. But you're not willing, you know, to stay on your own cross. You'll never be able to save others. You'll never be able to help others if you come down from your cross. And that's why we got to stay nailed. We've got to lose our life, the Bible says, that we might gain it. You know, as I mentioned to you earlier, it's not just something that's a general truth. It's something that's very personal. And that's what we see next in verse 40 where it says the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here we see the salvation of this great sinner, one of the criminals. Talk about getting saved at the last minute, huh? Matthew tells us in Matthew 27, verse 44, that he was actually part of the reviling when this whole thing started. We read in Matthew 27, 44, even the robbers, plural, who were crucified with him, reviled him with the same thing. But what ended up happening, you guys? What changed his life? He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus suffer. He saw Jesus. And as a result of just focusing and fixing his eyes on Jesus, as a result of that, even though at one time he was an adversary of Christ, now he becomes you know, an advocate with Christ. And what ends up happening? This guy gets closer to the cross and this guy gets saved. And you know, when you read this whole thing, it's so simple, man, huh? He just says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, and we read that right there, and I think how simple salvation, huh, Lord? How simple the gospel. You know, that just that childlike trust that takes place in the heart and the power of your blood, able to save even the worst sinner, a man who may have lived his whole life his whole life, his whole life was described as wicked, a criminal, a sinner. His whole life until the very death, last breath. And all he has to say is, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just that simple, not even the sinner's prayer, not raising his hand, not going forward. Just a simple, Lord, remember me. And the power of the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ at that moment in time saves him forever to where Jesus could say, today, not tomorrow, not after you wake up from some, side of, some type of soul sleep, today you will be with me in paradise. 
You see, and when we read that right there, and I know when I read that right there, I think, Lord, soteriology, Lord, the doctrine of salvation is just so simple, so beautiful, so powerful. And that's how, you know, that's how we got saved. You know, maybe you raised your hand, maybe you went forward, maybe you sent a sinner's prayer, there's nothing wrong with those things, but somewhere in your heart there was this simple turning to Christ and trusting in Him. Seeing him for who he is. Who, who did he call him? He called him Lord, huh? Lord. And at that moment in time, he's saved. You know, when I was thinking about this whole thing, I was also thinking about how Jesus must have felt. And it's okay probably to think a little bit about how Jesus felt. Imagine how Jesus felt. There he is going through pain, bearing our sins, He's going to be separated from the Father, something that you and I will never, ever begin to understand. There he is in the most painful place of all time. There he is. And there's this criminal right next to him dying. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then right there while Jesus was dying, he was just saying, yes, this is why I'm dying. For the wicked sinner who would just simply place his faith in me. And I'm just convinced, and I'm just kind of convinced that the Father used that even to help the Lord and encourage him in such a difficult situation. The Lord says, man, today you're going to be with me in paradise. You know, and just in case you're wondering, this paradise is not limbo or purgatory or some type of holding tank for second-class Christians. Paradise is where God resides. Second Chronicles, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24, speak of this paradise where Paul was caught up and heard words from God. And then in Revelation 2, verse 7, the Bible says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know, when I think of heaven, I think of a lot of things, man. I imagine what this tree of life is going to be like. There's a tree there in heaven that bears different fruits every month. That's going to be kind of cool, huh? But I think more than anything else of just being with him. You guys are going to be cool. No, no offense, man. But the Lord says, today you will be with me. See, heaven is him. That's my heaven. I can't wait to see him. The one who died for me. I'll never forget my life before Jesus Christ. Totally lost. I was totally dead in my sins. No hope. Never had hope. Never. He saved me. And that's why it's so cool when he says, you're going to be with me. Today you're going to be with me. And that's the promise. You know, we don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to go through all the sacraments. We don't have to, you know, get the t-shirt or wear the bumper sticker, although I would encourage you to do both. (laughs) It's so cool. The gospel is awesome. Whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. It's so cool. It's so wonderful. 
And so we read there in verse 44, now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And there he died on the cross. You know, some say maybe it was an eclipse because there was darkness over the land. But more than likely, it wasn't because um, this is Passover time. This doesn't make sense. More than likely, it was just some sort of supernatural phenomenon that God brought. Now, he's Luke, remember, is writing to Gentiles. And so he's writing in Roman time. So from 9 o'clock, Jesus got nailed to the cross. 12 o'clock, darkness came on the land for the last three hours. And more than likely, what happened was this, that at 12 o'clock, at 12 o'clock on that day, on that good Friday, at 12 noon, our sins were laid on him. And there was darkness over the whole land. Because that's what sin is. I know sometimes we see it as, oh, I messed up, or I made a mistake, or shucks, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But sin is just utter darkness. Sin is what nailed him to the cross. Sin is what separated him from the Father. And sin is what separates you and I from the Father. God help us to hate sin. You see this right here and you're blown away. And what we find is that at that moment, it says that Jesus cried with a loud voice. And we know that uh, John told us what he cried. John told us that he cried, it is finished. But what happened was kind of cool. And I know we're running out of time, but I got to tell you this, is that he said, I thirst. You know, there were seven things that Jesus said from the cross and real short, shallow statements. And he said, I thirst. But it wasn't really because he, he was thirsting necessarily like, oh, you know what, I want to quench it, you know, give me some Gatorade. It wasn't like that. It's just that when you're hanging on the cross, your tongue is dried up. It's dried up. And the thing is, is that he had something to say. And so in order for him to say it, you know, loud and for everyone to hear, he needed to wet his tongue. He needed to get something to drink. And so they gave him something to drink. And it was at that point that he cried with a loud voice. It is finished. And I'm sure he said it even louder, man. It was the cry of the ultimate victory in the human race. And there the Lord finished our salvation. He did it, you guys. He said, my meat, my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. And he bore the punishment that we deserved. You know, we deserve an infinite punishment. That's why it had to be an infinite being on the cross. It had to be God. He absorbed it for us. Now when you and I place our faith in him, you and I are saved. And what we see here is that Jesus died. It's interesting. It says that the veil in the temple was torn. Mark tells us that it was torn from the top to the bottom. The veil is what separated us from God there in the holiest place in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. Now, think about it, man. God is the one. Why from the top? Because God did it. We're too short, man. God is the one that ripped it. And he said, you want to know something, man? You are welcome into my holy, holy, 
holy presence anytime. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. We don't have to go through St. Jude or St. Christopher or St. Ralph or whatever it is. Man, they've got a million saints. We don't have to go through Mary. As a matter of fact, we can't go to God through any of them. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there's one mediator between God and men. That is the man Christ Jesus, right? Now you and I can just go, boom, to the Father. Why? Because he tore the veil, right? And so what ends up happening? Well, we see in verse 47. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together that sight, seeing what had Jesus, what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and women who had followed from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. You know, some of them saw the whole thing. The centurion says he was a righteous man. All you got to do is watch this guy die. Some of them are going home. They're beating their breasts. Others are just standing there, just blown away at everything that had happened. And we read in verse 50, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near And the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And here we read of Joseph taking tremendous courage to care for the body of Jesus. According to John chapter 19, verse 39, Nicodemus was also with him. You know, and I don't know for sure. Some say, well, where were they during the trials? Why didn't they speak up during the trials? And maybe they did. We don't know. Maybe they didn't. If they didn't, if it was something that they were holding in, now we see kind of a lesson that we might find in life. Have you ever gone to a funeral and put flowers on top of someone's coffin? And then the Lord might might convict you. Why didn't you give them flowers while they live? Husbands, not as joking then, people. Why wait till they die? I don't know for sure, but if I had to guess, I would say more than likely they did say something because what they did right here shows a tremendous, tremendous amount of courage. You know, it's rather ironic that the ones who showed the bravery to bury Jesus in the end were religious leaders. I'm sure they were ostracized as a result of this and probably kicked out of the Sanhedrin But, you know, they went against the flow, something that we all must do in life. They did the right thing and they gave the body of Jesus a place to be buried. An expensive tomb, they gave it to him. But as we'll see next week, it'll only be for the weekend, right? I'm just so blessed that we have this Savior of ours. You know, in closing, you guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but the name of our church is Calvary Chapel. Did you guys know that? Some of you didn't know that. That's okay. It's not important. Calvary Chapel. The dictionary defines chapel as a place for Christians to worship. A place for Christians to worship. Calvary is defined in the Bible as a place where Jesus died. 
place where Jesus died. And when you put the two together, I think that, man, it would be awesome if we would come to this place of worship and making it the place where Jesus died. You know, and the worship, like I said earlier, is not just, you know, singing songs, although that's part of it. It's not just going to church. It's not just, you know, doing the religious ministry thing. It's, it's your life, you guys. It's your life. And so let this permeate. I pray many of us would be strengthened as Christians and that maybe even some today would actually become Christians. You know, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you haven't been to church in a hundred years. I don't know. Maybe you come every week, but you still don't know the Lord. You know, Jesus Christ, central figure of history, changed the world more than any other man. He died and rose again. And all you have to do, it's real simple. We're not asking you to give a million dollars. We don't want your money. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And all you have to do right here, right now, we saw it today, so simple. Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Can you say that today? Lord, Lord, you're going to call the shots now. Lord, I'm giving my life to you. Lord, remember me. If you can say that right here, right now from your heart, God will change your life. And God will say to you, in response. And today, one day, that day, it might be today, you will be with me in paradise. But you got to say that. You got to ask the Lord. You got to cry out to the Lord. If you don't know Jesus, why would you not do something so simple and so powerful? Don't let the devil stop you. Let today be the day. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for allowing us uh, this time, Lord, and this opportunity, Lord, to be able to just read your word. And I know there are times, Lord, where I, where I want to ask for a raise of hands and, or I want to ask for people to come forward or I want to ask people to stand for their, to their feet. And I know, Lord, and I know you can use all those things. But today, Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, they're right there in their chair. They would give their life to you. And right there in their heart, they would say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Thank you for the power of the blood. Thank you for the love of the cross. Thank you for everything you've done. How you are so consumed with sinners like us, but you love us. I pray, God, that we would realize this. Just once and for all, just let the issue be settled. Not in light of me, but in spite of me. God really does love me. But let that never, ever be a license to sin. We saw the darkness. God, let it be a license and a freedom to be victorious in life and to be obedient. 
We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray that you would just allow us to be able to go forward in our relationship with you and meet every need here, Lord. All the hurting people, all the rebellious people, deal with us. Please don't let us go on our own way. I pray today you would deal with every person here appropriately, Lord, because you love us and I know you do. Thank you again for this time. Pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.